Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and today I am joined by Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine, Jesse. How are you? I am great. Got to tell you, on a side note, my first boss when I worked in a call center was a guy named Mike Nichols. And so every time I see your name, I go, nope, not that Mike. <laughs> so, That's funny. It is. So thank you. Uh, Mike reached out to me. Uh, I guess, which episode did you hear that made you come reach out to me? I heard a couple. I, I believe it was Howie's. I also listened to Doris's there. Oh. I thought they were both great. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I have been happy how many different Bruce fans have joined me and kind of talked and told their story. Every Bruce fan has a story, and my goal is to get them all on the podcast. So yeah, you reached out to me, and you had a bold claim. You said 32 shows on the Working on a Dream Tour, correct? That is correct, yeah. Now, and mostly, well, pretty much up up and down the uh, eastern seaboard. Yeah, 32. Yes. Okay, that I, I know that's not a record because there are people that have seen Bruce hundreds of times, but that's got to be impressive for just one tour. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably seen Bruce. Uh, I know it's well over a couple hundred times. I'm sure I don't have the record because I've never seen him overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife has actually gone to see him in Naples uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, that's still something, I'm, you know, that's on the bucket list to get over to a European tour. I want to experience the the Europe crowd, you know, at least once. Yeah, I, I've understood it's very different. So before we get to, because I want to talk about that, and I also understand you may have been at a certain football game um, out on the field during a certain, I personally think, the greatest halftime performance of all time. Yep. Yeah, that was the uh, <clears throat> that was the Super Bowl 2009 in at uh, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. That was probably the best Bruce experience that I've had. Uh, it was just uh, a blast, uh, you know, with with all the people that uh, were were you know, that you'd meet up along the way. But it was a great experience. I imagine. So that's our teaser. But now we're going to go through. You, you know, you got to build up to the climax. <laughs> I apologize. No, 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 no. That's perfect. No, I, I set it up. Uh, Mike, tell me a little bit about uh, your background. Uh, where you grew up from? What did the family listen to music-wise when you were growing up? Uh, I grew up on the Jersey Shore. That's okay. that's you know it's it's understandable. Uh, you know, right in the in uh, Bruce's uh, you know backyard, basically same county, and um, we grew up listening to you know mainstream you know top forty. My mom actually used to buy a lot of forty five records, and you know she'd basically get the the, the more pop stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, late sixties, early seventies, and I remember once she came back and she had came back with the Queen's Night at the Opera and started dissecting that with my sister. And I couldn't help but <clears throat> but hear some of that and some of the guitar and some of the singing. And I said, you know, that is you know really cool. And I just I was wondering why my mom was listening to that. And I said, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. But but that, um, you know, mainstream, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not. Uh, Foreigner, Boston, Aerosmith, Zeppelin, Van Halen, you know, mm -hmm. right down the line, hard, hard yeah. rocking and rolling. And of course, um, Bruce was right up there. So Mike, roughly, uh, when did you graduate from high school? 
1979. Okay, so I graduated 77, so you and I are the same um, era where mm -hmm. Top 40 radio was ruling. Yep. Um, I was never one of the cool kids that listened to album-oriented rock, the stations, because you I, you didn't know the songs, so you couldn't sing along with them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All my cool friends did. How did you first find Bruce? Well, I mean, I was... Uh... I was 14 when Born to Run came out, certainly was listening to the radio at that time. But Born to Run didn't do it for me at that time. The next album was Darkness, and I hadn't even really been exposed to that until one of my friends came up to me and said, you know, he had a Camaro, he came up and he said, you have to come in my car and listen to this guy's voice. Turns out he uh, had the Darkness 8-track, he played me a snippet, not even the whole song, but a, a snippet in the middle of Adam Raised a Cane. When Bruce kind of, uh, he just uh, really uh, has that a high-pitched kind of growl kind of scream in the Bible, Mama Cain slew Abel, and that knocked him out. And I have yeah. to say that when I listened to that, I said, that is really, really cool. So I listened to the rest of that song. And I listened to the rest of the album, and my friend never really hopped on the Bruce uh, bandwagon. He really didn't. He just liked the one part of the one song, but that's what did it for me. I went out and bought the Darkness album. I listened to it night and day. It was it was a best friend for quite some time. I remember being in a barbershop uh, back in the 70s getting my hair cut, and I'm sure under protest because I, I never had that long a hair, but my, I always wanted my hair longer than my parents uh, wanted it. There was, it was either Time or Newsweek that had him on the cover. I was like, I've never heard of this guy. How can he be the future of rock and roll? Have they never heard of Elton John? Have, you know, what's, what's mm -hmm. going on? We were at a, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I were at a uh, Kenny Rogers concert and they were playing darkness before the okay. show and she was like wow this is really interesting and i didn't get it either i i did not discover bruce um really till you know the river and kind of that thing and and stayed a casual fan um but you you got the bug right yeah, I got the bug back then for um, it was just such hard edged. It was just he was just uh, he was like searching for a way out. He was in despair. He was desperate. And you could tell that's, you know, there was so much emotion, so much despair, so much you know anger in that album. But it came, you know, the the guitar solos were searing. His voice was angry. And it was, I like, I was more on a harder edge kind of rock person. So I really like that aspect of the album. Probably it's still my favorite album, okay. but I didn't learn about the real beauty of Bruce's music until I took a step back. I mean, at the river came out and I said, well, there were some of these songs are really like well-written and, you know, he had stopped being so angry during the River album, but then I went back and and li really li you know listened to Born to Run, and yeah. and some of those songs. I mean, Jungle Land is just I mean it's beautifully written. There's no no other adjective to to use than beautiful. It's a beautifully written song lyrically too, and uh, then I realized that there is some real substance to what this guy's doing. It absolutely is, and I can certainly imagine that. Um, 
so you're doing your Bruce journey and you, do you remember the first time you saw him perform live? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember, um, that was July 4th, 1981. It was okay. when he, at the Meadowlands arena in New Jersey, he had, uh, we were there for, you know, when you hear Jersey girl played on the radio, we were in that crowd. Oh, when first, nice. When he first broke that song out. So when you hear people cheering, when it's, you know, down the shore and, you know, right. that was us. Uh, so yeah, I remember that, uh, Clearly. In fact, that was the night that I first met, got a chance to meet Bruce uh, backstage after the show. Ah, so tell us, uh, how did that happen? It really happened in November of 1980. I yes. had, uh, you know, I met a girl at a party and um, was not uh, terribly impressed. Sometime later, we were introduced then and we really seemed to to hit it off. And it was We'd probably been dating for a couple of weeks and her name was Elaine. And I, I'd never, I never knew what her last name was for a couple of weeks later. She asked me if I happened to like, you know, what music I liked and did I like Bruce Springsteen? And I said, uh, yeah, I love Bruce, you know, from, from the darkness album. Yeah. I was, I was relating some things about the music and I, I think I kind of lost her on that. And, and she told me her last name was talent. And I wait said, wait a minute. Yeah. I said, <laughs> that's, that was mine. I said, um, Hold on, you know, Gary Towns, the bass player for Bruce. Yeah, any chance you guys are related? <laughs> you know, what an odd thing. Right, and right. she said, yeah, that's my brother. And <laughs> from then I said, well, I got to seal this deal. I mean, she, yeah. she was she was great, but I said, you know, the, the running joke was uh, if I, uh, as long as the band is playing, we'll always have a strong marriage. And <laughs> the band is still playing, so here there we, we go. go. Oh, how funny. So, I mean, I, you know, I wanted to get tickets. I wanted to go to a show in the, in the Philly Spectrum in November of that year of 80. And, uh, I was a little too new. Nobody was really sure I was going to stick around. And then I remember wanting to go to the December 31st, you know, the New Year's Eve Nassau Coliseum show, right. which is, you know, classic. Yeah. My wife wasn't going to go. She had to actually watch some, some other kids in the family. So I kept her company. But finally, when they came around, you know, they went to Europe. And then they came back and, and started a, a long stand at the Meadowlands Arena in Jersey. Yes. And I went to that show. And then, you know, Gary was able to take me backstage and graciously introduced me to Bruce. And I was able to sit down, and just have a chat with him about really about Europe, about uh, the tour. And, you know, he went on and on about, uh, you know, the, the people and the cities. And that's, you know, something that I've always uh, remembered. And it's one of the reasons I still want to try to get to Europe to see a show. He was very, he was grounded down to earth. You could, you could, you know, break bread and have beers with the guy, just like another Joe. I get, I can imagine this is one of your musical heroes. You're going, okay, I don't want to, I, I, and I always worry, like if I ever had the chance to meet Bruce, what am I going to say? And I go to a lot of comic book conventions. I do a Doctor Who podcast and I've been able to interview. Yeah, I read uh, your bio. Okay. So a couple of, you know, guys and you're. I spend a lot of time going, okay, what do I, I don't want to be asking the same question that everyone asks. And I also don't want to be that whip of a person that, um, you know, the old Saturday Night Live skit. You remember when you did the Beatles? You were, wasn't that great? <laughs> so I, I imagine talking about the European tour and giving them a different perspective of how it's different than an American show. Not only would I find that interesting, but 
that's a safe topic where you aren't going to embarrass yourself, right? Right. It's not old. I actually, you know, you certainly, that goes through your mind. I certainly was thinking, I knew before the show started that night that I was going to get my, my chance to go backstage and talk right. to him. And I thought about that. And I'll tell you what, he seemed to love the question uh, because he opened right up and to this day, clear as day, I can remember him. He was just gushing about Barcelona. Loves Barcelona. It's no coincidence that in 2005 he comes out with a live at Barcelona. Right. But um, he said, I said, well, what about Barcelona impressed you so much? He said he loved the city, but he said that he could look in the, in the, at the people who were attending the show and he could see that they weren't very well off. But he knew from speaking to some of them that they had saved – for the better part of a year just to get enough money to go to the show. And that inspires Bruce to play his best show, plays his heart out. I mean, I haven't seen a show where he's really uh, called it in, you know, but he says when he sees people that are inspired like that to see him, that inspires him and he wants to put on the best show he possibly can to, to give them every penny's worth. And, you know, those are, I think that's a creed that he continues to, to live by. I, I agree. It's amazing that in his 60s, a three-hour show is normal, and also how diverse of a set list he does. I, I think it's a little bit exaggerated when people talk about, you know, we write out the set list and then we immediately throw it away. You know, I do think there is a method to his madness, and they have a plan and what rolls together well and everything, but the diversity of songs – you can see the first time my wife went seriously to see Bruce, she kept going, you didn't play that song for me. You didn't because I had we had made a deal that I would give her songs that she would know. And I said, mm -hmm. and so after the fact, I kind of showed her, do you see all he only plays like 30 or 40 percent consistently every night and the other 50, 60 percent, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. Well, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, that's that's kind of why. People say, how can you go to a, you know, even 50 shows right. of the same artist? But it's not a static set list. It hasn't been for years. And the closest that he would come to us, that he used to come to a static set list was maybe the first leg of a tour, even the first leg of the Magic Tour, first leg of working on a dream. He kind of stayed pretty close to a set list. But the second leg... You know, I think the working on a dream tour, I think that's when he actually started, you know, looking at this at the signs and started playing covers. Now, you know, every once in a while I have uh, access to one of the set lists and he's far. He'll he'll just scroll a set list on what he feels like playing on a given night. And he'll yeah. even leave slots for yeah. signs from the audience. So he's prepared to mix it up every night. I have a couple of brother-in-laws and we have this friendship because not only because of family, but you're you're put together in you know family events and holidays, and you develop a relationship. I don't want to overstep, but I would think you know you and Gary have a typical brother-in-law relationship. Well, yeah, I, I would say it's a it's brother brother-in-law. Yeah, I would say that's that's right. I mean we yeah. we see each other quite often. We were yeah. uh, we'll go down to you know Nashville where he lives, and mm -hmm. you know there's when we gather. It's a lot of, of family. It's a family atmosphere. There's a lot of family discussion. Yeah. I find myself, probably more so than anybody else in the family, having to harness what I'd like to sit down and talk and discuss with Gary about. That way I can kind of keep it a normal brother-in-law relationship, and yeah. we're good. So I imagine 
you know, the last thing your brother-in-law wants is going, so is, is it a pain in the butt to have all these sign requests or do you get a kick out of it? And he's like, look, I don't want to talk about this right now. <laughs> you know? No, no, Gary's, uh, Gary's pretty cool like that. Oh, that's uh, nice. There are times when, I mean, I sometimes give Gary a perspective that he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get. Oh, neat. We went out to, uh, for instance, we, I think it was 2008, might have been the second leg of the Magic Tour. There was a show in Charleston, South Carolina, and we all went to the show. Gary and, and, and my wife and I walked around the town for a while, and you're discussing things, and and Gary's like, I, you know, I don't know. It's like these signs are all springing up, you know, and I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on. Like somebody came out with, like, Maria's bed. It's like, what on earth is that? I still don't know what it is. I said, that's from Bruce's Devils and Dust album. That's right. one of the songs. It's kind of a jumpy song. I like it a lot. And yeah, I do too. Play. Bruce is not going to break out those songs with the band there. Only occasionally, you know, he'll play Human Touch. Yes. But anything he didn't record with the band, you know, and he, he's got some uh, Seeger Session stuff in there too. But Gary is willing to, you know, he's willing to sit and talk, you know, as long as it's not, 100 percent about right. uh okay. you know because that's that's his that's his work you know i don't want to sit yeah. and talk 100 percent of the time about my work either so i respect that i work in a i worked in a call center and so and my brother-in-law was a firefighter you know, he's now retired from that you know and so there'd be this casual you know combination well how's things going at work what's going on you know i'm amazed and i i tell this story a lot but i went i grew up in the art, my dad was in the army. We moved around a lot, but my high school was spent in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and I went to school at McNeese State. And the Cajun folk song "Jolie Blanc" is their fight song. So I've always gotten a kick out of Bruce doing that. Mm -hmm. And when they did it in Australia, with that sign request, you know they had not rehearsed that. To hear them do it with such joy and excitement uh, was just kind of different, and and it just made me just smile. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing how uh, adaptable and uh, you know flexible. We were just talking about that the other night. That yeah. though, you know, the sign request. I was talking about it with my son actually, and saying yeah. that you know some of uh, you know the, the the signs that come out. They some of them they have not been rehearsed, but you know Gary even said, you know, for the most part they they can pick up the riff really quick. They just just need to decide what key they're going to be playing in, and off they yeah. go. You know, Gary also said that when they do that, sometimes they'll either miss a verse or they'll they'll hit a, a sour note or yeah. they'll you know the drums don't come in quite when they should and but the but the fans love it they're eating it up and and most of the time the you know the fans don't even notice it and I've seen that too if I'm picking a, a song apart and I yeah. know that Jake didn't come in right or or somebody missed something I can see the guys looking at each other like oh you know what happened there. But no, but everybody else is oblivious, you know, which is great for them because they could, you know, they'd have to really, really trash something to, uh, you know, for, for Bruce to have to stop a song in mid-flight, which I've seen him do several times. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, I was at the Houston show in 2014 and a sign request was for One Step Up. Mm -hmm. And they mentioned that it had not been played by the full E Street Band since the, uh, you know, Tunnel of Love, oh, Love tour. Right. And, um, you know, they played it, but it was mostly Patty singing background, Bruce playing lead, and the, there was not a full range. You could see they're like, okay, we're just going to go bare bones with this, which it's not that 
robust of a song anyway, where you need a lot of mm -hmm. um, music and stuff. Uh, well, that is awesome. Were you there when um, Gary was inducted in the Hall of Fame? I was not there. Um, still kicking myself over that, but there was a <laughs> there was a limited amount of of tickets. Really, only only maybe I think maybe three or four from the family were actually able to attend. Uh, I would think that would be really tough. Yeah, it was a tough ticket. Yeah. So I want to talk to you just for a minute. How do you balance your fandom with your friendship and your familyness, or has it now? you're able to put it in two different compartments. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've actually, it's, I've been able to manage it just fine. It, yeah. It's a, uh, again, I'm, I'm coming at it from a, from a pretty unique perspective um, because the wife is, is a, you know, she is family yes. and, you know, you'll see when you go to a show, you, you know, we obviously through Gary, we get uh, some, some pretty, some pretty nice tickets and yes. we're usually sitting where other band members, uh, fa families are sitting right. and, um, they enjoy the show, but my, yeah. I know my wife wouldn't go to multiple shows. You know, if he came, you know, when he comes to Charlotte and he does come to Charlotte and Greensboro, I'll go up to Charlotte and Greensboro. I'll catch those shows. Uh, I'll go to Atlanta. Uh, I'll go to DC. I'll yeah. go to Virginia, South Carolina, Philly and Jersey that's pretty much the extent of, of where I've gone. Um, right. I'll go up. I, I, I saw him in, uh, at the end of the working on a dream tour. The last show was Buffalo. Yes. And two nights before was Baltimore. So I went up and caught both of those shows as well, but my wife wouldn't even think of traveling, uh, just to see the shows. She loves to see her brother when he comes to yeah. town, they love to get together. We get together as a family and she'll come to the show. But I'll go to Atlanta, you know, she's gone to Atlanta, I think a couple of times. I don't mm -hmm. think she's ever gone to Greensboro, but uh, it's just accepted. They understand yeah. that I was a, I was a fan of the E street band before I, um, before I got into the family circle. So, you know, and, and when the band was temporarily broken up, uh, I still followed Bruce and his music. And that, uh, you know, that, that was a tough time. You know, it was not easy to do that. So I want to talk about that in just a minute, but what I think is interesting is um, a friend of mine, Tom Zoller, is an artist, and and he he's um, drawn he's drawn and written My Little Pony. He does a self-published um, Love and Capes comic, and he was on um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the syndicated version once, oh. and he met a lady that had won a Grammy. And he said, and it just casually came up, and he said, if I won a Grammy, it would be like, hi, I'm Tom. You know, I won a Grammy once. <laughs> and my point is, you emailed me and said, hey, Jesse, I, you're asking for people to be on the podcast. I'd love to do it. You know, I've been – I was on X amount of things on the Dream Tour, and also I really want to tell you the Super Bowl story. And I said, oh, that's great. Yes. So you and I are exchanging back emails, and it's a lot of fun, and um, I'll – pull back the curtain back a little bit for our listeners. So you sent me an email and said, Hey, by the way, here's my number. Can you call me? I want to ask you something before we record. So I'm like, sure. So I'm just like, Hey Mike, how you doing? Are you busy? And you're like, well, I've got just a couple of minutes. He says, um, so do you know that Gary's going to be doing a solo album? I said, no, I didn't. He said, yeah. He says, well, you know, he's my brother-in-law. 
what <laughs> how did you how did you not lead with that like hey i have a personal connection um so i thought that was really cool that you are able to keep the two uh, apart well i'll tell you what <clears throat> i am when it comes to that I, I i really when i'm dealing with fans and you know fans of the band i didn't want to lead with that i because i truly am i, I didn't want to use that as an in i thought i thought that uh i I know there are a lot of great fans out there. I've become personally acquainted with a lot of them, but I figure I'm right in there amongst them. So I, I, I didn't figure I'd lead with that. I mean, just to give you a taste of, of more about that, about not leading with, with, with my brother-in-law. I think, where was it? Was it, uh, I don't think it was Connecticut. Uh, the last two shows in Connecticut, I, I went, I was fortunate enough to get to see those shows. It might've been a show in Jersey, I met a, a bunch of BTXers there from, from the Backstreets.com site, some of them who had been to the Super Bowl show with me. Uh, you know, I already had my tickets, but I went and got a wristband anyway because I wanted to experience with these guys what it's like to get your wristband and then wait on the drop line and find out when you're getting in and what number is going to be called. Because right. I had never experienced that, but I know most Bruce fans did. So I said, I want to. I want to do that. So I sat down there and waited with them and um, uh, we didn't get to sit together, but yeah. you know, of course we had dinner and everything like that, but I, I'm just not riding on, on, on that kind of level where, Hey, I know I got my ticket and, uh, and right. I, you know, I, I'm not going to mingle with these people because they're just fans. I'm a fan right along with them. And I love that, that you do keep that separate. So I don't want to go too personal, but um, you know, all of us fans are curious about that other band period. You and I have already discussed, you would be just as happy if it's the core members playing shows. And I am a fan of this new E Street Orchestra. I love the bigness of it, mm -hmm. um, though I would take either one. Anything you can share about that period? And I, I do think it's interesting. You feel not totally like a turncoat, but you're like, yeah, I'm sorry, Gary's not in it, but it's Bruce. I got to see him. Yeah, that was kind of the mentality. First of all, you know, you, you, everybody was shocked. Yes. <clears throat> now that, you know, we've, we've heard <clears throat> exactly how this thing went down in books and articles and online. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was a, a big shock. You know, I was yeah. enjoying going to all these shows and then um, – you know, I just remember one time, you know, Gary took us out to eat and we sat down and it was the only the really time, the only real time that we had sat down and discussed the breakup of the band at length. And even then he didn't go into too many details. Right. But I could tell he was he was hurt. He was um, he was a little angry. And, um, you know, from what I understand, he wasn't the only one. It was, you know, you just didn't understand where that came from out of, you know, out of left field. Moving on from that. When Human Touch and Lucky Town came out, I went out and immediately got Human Touch and listened to that. And you know, when I would, I'd almost get these dirty looks, like, you know, what are you doing? You know, that's it's not the E Street band. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, as you said, you know, I'm 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 still a fan of Bruce. And of course my hope was that they would eventually get together and you'd see little things like they got together for the to the ghost of Tom Jode and uh and the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame, and uh, when the uh, reunion tour came around, great tour, but it was really a rocking tour. But when that tour came around, then it was like, okay, 
And then even Bruce felt the same way. There's no way we're breaking up again. Anything now, uh, any solo projects now are just a, uh, it's a temporary deal. You know, the band will come back and um, sure enough, you know, the band will come back. Yeah. I, I, you know, I did not see any of the shows on the Seeger tour uh, sessions band, um, though I've heard from people that it was, you know, I have a good friend that says it was close to as a religious experience he's ever had. But I do love that it seems that this time apart has made them even stronger. And there is a bond when they were talking about, you know, that you've seen a lot of interviews when they were on inducted in the Hall of Fame. You know, you get the feeling that there is this bond and this togetherness that they truly are blood brothers. And that is a family. Yeah, they, um, <clears throat> I mean, they are, uh, they understand that in this case, the, um, the sum of, of, of the parts is, you know, greater than the individual members, I guess, however you want to put that. Yeah. But they understand that they, they understand that, uh, the E street band, is that's the pinnacle. That's what they all, you know, when it comes time to do something as, you know, with a project, yeah. other things get put on hold for a little bit. Um, yeah. This is, you know, the E Street Band is back. They understand that they are, you know, cohesive. Bruce has c- continually come out and said that the band's playing better now than uh, they ever have. I, I kind of see where he's coming from with that because I think it's, um, and of course, I, I don't know. I've, uh, but, you can see just uh, for instance uh Bruce uh and Max are absolutely on the same wavelength and I've seen Bruce play with other bands and not knocking anybody else but that cohesiveness with Bruce and the drummer is just not yeah. there but you know and of course Gary and Max are rock solid on the same page yeah Bruce is looking at, you know, Max is looking at Bruce to get his cues and, you know, they just know that if Bruce wants to dive, you know, take a diversion while he's, he's crowd surfing during right. hungry heart, they just know they're just going to keep on doing what they're doing until Bruce wants to finish up. That, and yeah. and that's what Bruce is talking about that. He can't get that experience, uh, nor can any other of, of the band members get that experience with any other band except the E street band. Just your opinion only. Uh, were you a fan of Morella joining the this last tour, or were you one of the purists that went, eh, I'm not sure I like it? Well, I, we had talked about the purist thing, and I said I'd like the you know, original six or maybe seven yeah. out there, but I enjoyed Tom Morello. I just thought, I mean, he's out there for, for, for you know, for the, for the ghost of Tom Joad. I mean, that's yeah. his big, but his guitar playing and some other stuff was great. I think Nils is a fantastic guitar player, and but some of my favorite guitar songs are Bruce back at yes. you know Streets of Fire and Candy's Room and you know right. Bruce doing those solos. Um, but I enjoyed Morello. I'm just not sure. I don't know if he's going to be around anymore. I think Tom has moved on. Yeah. But I would enjoy seeing him on stage with the Eastry Band again, for sure. When you see videos of them performing, and I was able to go to three shows in, you know, last year, and I saw the Dallas Free Show, which was a blast, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, then in Nashville and then in Houston, he looked like he was having a blast. But then all of them do. All of them look like they are just enjoying the heck of themselves. 
you know, on stage. And it is um, a pure joy. And I've said this many times that, you know, all of, apologies to Disney, the happiest place on earth is a Bruce concert. <laughs> yeah. I would say, you know, that that's pretty close. Now, I've seen... You know, I've seen Gary and some of the band members before shows and, mm -hmm. you know, they're just coming from, uh, you know, one city to another. And I, I'll get, you know, I have the opportunity to go back there and maybe grab a light yeah. meal before the show or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I can see that some of these guys are tired. Yeah. And I know Gary, get, he just, sometimes he just gets really tired. They'll try to squeeze in a nap before the show. But when they're on on stage and it looks like they're enjoying themselves. I think they really are enjoying themselves. You know, mm -hmm. they, they understand how they have to pace themselves and they'll get the proper rest so that when they do get on stage, they are having a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to, I want to talk about the Super Bowl, and then we want to talk about Gary's um, solo sure. album, but I do want to ask you one more kind of family question. Is it an easy thing or is it just under like, do you pick up the phone and say, hey, Gary, I'm thinking about heading up there. Can you put me on the list? Or, you know, how do you how do you approach that with and uh, is it such a relationship you don't have to worry about being, you know, being pushy or anything? Well, I mean, there is there's a system set up okay. where, where uh, um, Gary's sister, not my wife, okay. uh, basically is in charge of the tickets because, you know, there's a lot of people, but it. it that want tickets, but it can't be impromptu. Okay. It really can't. It's yeah. now I, I did that once where you know, Gary's older sister uh, came up to me and said, Hey, Gary, let us know that there's uh, two tickets available at the Philly spectrum. So this is going back a little bit. Yeah. And, and, the, and she said, would you like them? I said, and I was at, I was working with her at mm -hmm. the time. And I said, well, can I cut out and go? And she said, yeah. So they, they were good seats. So I said, okay. Mm -hmm. So I called my friend and my friend said he couldn't make it. So right. I said, all right, well, then I, I guess at this time, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to leave you shorthanded. That was that. An hour later, my friend calls me and says, uh, you know, I can make it. Mm -hmm. uh, Brenda says, go ahead, leave, go to the show. Went to the show and uh, got to the box office window, and there were no tickets there for me. Oh, wow. And so they called, and I said, you know, I told them who I was, and they, they reached Gary, and Gary came down to the box office and, <laughs> and said, uh you know, what, what happened? I said, well, I, I, I got, um, you know, I got a chance to, to go to the show anyway. And he says, Oh, I, well, I, I had already given up those tickets and they went to somewhere else, but he got me tickets that were in the first row in back of the stage. I mean, so it, that was great. That was pers a perspective that I'd never had before, but I mean, I was right there pretty much with the band as they walked up to the stage and as they played, and actually, we, you know, Gary and I even had a conversation between songs from the stage. So <laughs> it was great. I, I'm sure as you're, you know, as you're, the fan part of you is thrilled, but as you're, you know, your brother-in-law, you know, your your family member, you're like, man, you have other things to worry about before a show. I've messed up your nap. I'm so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I felt bad about that, but he, mm -hmm. you know, he, he took it like a champ. Oh, but very nice. Okay, talk to me about the Super Bowl. Um, first off, I am on the record. I, I'm a huge Bruce fan, obviously. And when I heard he was doing the Super Bowl, a lot of my 
casual Bruce fans were like, oh, he's never going to do that. You know, he he won't ever sell out and he won't do that. And so when I heard he was doing it, I was thrilled. And there was a lot of discussion on, you know, what songs will he do and what's going on. So take me through the story. And um, I just want to hear about everything you want to share. Sure. Well, we had heard that there were rumors that he might finally do the Super Bowl. Uh, finally, we got word officially that he was going to do the Super Bowl. So immediately, I remember mm-hmm. calling up Gary yeah. and saying, okay, this is where my connection comes in here. <laughs> you got to get me. Now, of course, I'm a huge, huge sports fan and, and okay. going to a Super Bowl game has always been a, a bucket list item Absolutely. for me. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm thinking, all right. Now, I finally have a connection here. I'm going to get. Are you a Giants or Jets fan? Or I am a Jets fan. Okay. Okay. Yep. I um I said this is going to be a chance to see Bruce and finally get to the Super Bowl. And Gary said, "Well, I got bad news. Uh, there's no tickets. I'm not. I don't have any tickets. In fact, they even told us. I think NBC was doing the show. NBC said we don't even have tickets for the band." We don't even have tickets. We're going to do the show, and then we're going to leave in our limo, and we're probably going to go to the airport. We won't even know who won the game. And and as as it was, none of them went. None of them did attend the game. So I said, "All right." I was on uh, on BTX, and I went to the Bridgestone site because they were the sponsor of the halftime yeah. show. And they said, "This is how you do it. You go on the website." And you have to get on a team. And teams had to be at least 10 members. And there had to be a team captain. And I guess I was a little late in trying to follow up and doing this. So I realized this is, this is something I'm going to have to do myself. Any family connections here are not going to come into play. Right. So I went on Backstreets. And I saw a, a lady named Kelly Lani. And she happened to be a captain. And I said, can I join your team? She said, like, I think we have something like 18 members, but yeah, come on, let's do it. That was uh, Kelly, Kelly Astro, Kelly and her mom, Betty. I just have to give a quick shout out to, to the, my portion of the Super Bowl team. It was Kelly and Betty and uh, Melissa and Debbie, Joe, Anne-Marie, Christine. I'm sure I'm missing some, but they were the core of our particular segment of, of the audience that was going to rush the field so and and i'm going to stop you there mike you know this is not just i mean you're working because i was reading about the before of this about you could go but you know you had to get yourself there you had to go and and then you have to build that you know help build everything within a certain amount of time right well there were two crews that showed up there okay there was the group of people who would rush the stage and be fans. Yeah. And there was another separate group of people who assembled the stage. Okay. We did not assemble the stage. Okay, good. So you just got to be in the pit, so to speak, to enjoy yeah, the once, show. Once the people put the – and they had that stage together in between five and ten minutes. Once that crew finished putting the little pieces of stage together and making them smooth so people could walk and right. not trip, they got off the field, and then we went on the field. So what happened was uh, I I talked to the people and uh, our team captain was in touch with the Bridgestone people, exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, we had to do this on our own dime. Mm-hmm. We had to take a full week off of work. Yeah. Now it was in Tampa, Florida, so it was it wasn't really bad. But they said you have to show up at uh, a certain place on Sunday, where you would be given. Uh, it was actually at a practice field. Uh, Tampa University, uh, practice football field. We sat in the bleachers. 
They gave us instructions on the first day. It was Sunday, the Sunday before the Super Bowl. And then they said that we would have rehearsals on Tuesday and a dress rehearsal Thursday and then the real deal on Sunday. And that's what we did. We went and we we had everybody had a particular place that they had to stand. They everything was choreographed. We had to move in a certain position, a certain location for a certain amount of steps. That's where we got to meet everybody and we we bonded and from you know from the first day we just did everything together. During the day we'd go to the beach, during at night we go to the restaurants. If we had to do the rehearsal, we do the rehearsal. So we went to the rehearsal Tuesday and then we went to the rehearsal on Thursday. It was a monsoon to end all monsoons. It was torrential rain the entire time we were out there. So, so Mike, did which which of these were Bruce and the band at? These rehearsals, they weren't at each one, were they? They weren't there Sunday and they weren't there on Tuesday, but they were there on Thursday. It was a full dress and also a what they called a half pyro show. They had, you know, uh, during the, the Super Bowl, they're going to shoot off all kinds of fireworks, but right. they shot off some. In fact, Bruce didn't even didn't know about that, and they you could see him jump the first time they shot the fireworks off. He didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So they were there Thursday, and we were there, and the band had you know it looked like they were all wearing garbage bags to keep them you know themselves yeah. uh, out of the rain, but they were out there rehearsing. We all I you know we all had umbrellas. I had an umbrella, but. The lady who was standing next to me, she happened to also come from nearby in Asbury Park in New Jersey. So we were talking for a little bit, and her umbrella blew away. I gave her my umbrella. I just started getting poured on with the rain, poured on. Saw that, you know, I was able to make eye contact with Gary, and I was cheering on, and everybody was having a good time. But Gary remembered that. After that day, after that Thursday, he went to the tour manager, George Travis, and said, look, I know we don't have any tickets and we can't get tickets. But my brother-in-law came down, you know, from Carolina on his own dime, standing out there in the rain and miserable, you know, making this thing work for us because we need fans out there. We got to do something for him. Well, George comes through. Wow. Uh, he came through and he got us two tickets for me and my wife, I mean, right on the 50-yard line. It was Arizona against Pittsburgh, so we were about 16 rows up from the Arizona bench, dead on the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl. So I had tickets in hand. Wow. So, And my wife, of course, didn't come down. I called her, and she got on a plane on Friday and flew down to Tampa. Gary and I and, uh, and my wife, Elaine, Spent a lot of time that actually I spent more time with them, I think, on Friday and Saturday than I did with the other, you know, the rest of the Super Bowl team. Right. But they all heard that I got tickets to the Super Bowl and they were all really jealous. I bet. So they all wanted to see the tickets. And Mm -hmm. and when I showed up uh, Sunday morning, we were we were supposed to be all herded over to Tampa Bay University. We and we were all sitting in the auditorium. Right. Well, when I showed up. They couldn't believe I was there because they said, you have tickets to the game. Why are you here? And I said, well, I have, you know, I came down here to be a part of the, of the being on the field at the yeah. halftime. I mean, I'm still going to do that. Absolutely. The, I, the, that kind of impressed them. They thought I would just bail on that and just watch the whole Super Bowl. So we stayed in the Tampa Bay University till a, a, a couple of buses came. We had a police escort over to the stadium and then we all got out and then we uh, right around the second, the beginning of the second quarter, we all went to the stadium. 
we got there. We were kind of standing outside the tunnel waiting for halftime to begin. As soon as halftime began, we were ushered onto the field, and we had already rehearsed, so we knew what we had to do. Yeah. And I was um, dressed up in a Jets jersey, which okay. the Bridgestone people said, you know what, you don't have to dress up in Arizona colors or Pittsburgh colors. You know, yeah. They pointed me out. See the guy over there in the Jets jersey? You go ahead and wear that on Sunday. That's fine. Okay. So I said, all right, I will. So I led our team out. We were the S team that grouped us up in alphabetical letters. And there's probably 50 of us on a team, but I only got real close to about eight of them. We walked out. Uh, they're putting the stage together. As the stage comes together, the band comes up on the stage. Of course, they're in, and they're in commercial right now. Right. And the idea was for all of us, as soon as they came back from commercial, Bruce had a little rap about, uh, you know, they're doing that little intro to 10th Avenue Freeze Out. And Bruce has this rap about, I want you to turn the volume up on the TV. I want you to put down the chicken wing. Put down yes. the chicken fingers. Yeah. And uh, when he said fingers, that was the sign for all of us to converge onto the stage. They had an overhead camera waiting to get that shot. That was going to be NBC's money shot. They wanted to see everybody on cue converge onto the stage. It was going to be so cool. What happened was during commercial, we had these guys in yellow coats. They were like watching over us. They were like right. managers or whatever, making us stay in place. Well, during the commercial, one person heard something and immediately crashed the stage and to get, I guess, to get the best uh, place around the stage and everybody followed and we all moved in while, while the station was in commercial. So they totally missed that shot. Oh, okay. And they got upset. NBC was livid and they said, that's it. You guys ruined it for everybody else. There will never be fans on the state uh, on the field again for the Super Bowl show. And next year there weren't for the next couple of years. There weren't, I think the who, Finally, you know, they, they brought yeah. people back on the field. But when, when we saw the next couple shows where there weren't fans on the field, that was because of us. That That is great. It sounds like a wonderful week. Bonding, you got to spend time, you know, your wife with your brother-in-law. And that is a fun four-song set. I mean, it is just, you know, if you could somehow concentrate a show if you say how can you know in 15 minutes can you get the whole flavor of this three hour i think it did i think well that yeah and and to you know it, to, to be factual i guess it was only 12 minutes and bruce okay. actually took the time to bring that out but yeah i mean to have the whole chorus out there for working on a dream and yeah. you know how, the, the fun that he had with the uh, glory days Yes. I thought Bruce actually sounded a little nervous during Born to Run. He sounded yep. like he was a little overwhelmed at the time, but when by the time Glory Days was done, I mean he was he was living it. He was having a great time. Yeah, and I love that they played with the idea that he's broken his share of curfews and he's, you know, <laughs> and so I thought it was funny him and Stephen. Would Bruce does Bruce recognize you when he sees you? <laughs> I have to say no. Okay. Uh, we had dinner once at Gary's house in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. It was a real nice house and a real yeah. nice dinner. And Bruce remembered me uh, at that point. We sat down and talked a little more. Yeah. I used to get to go to the sound checks before right. the shows. Now I think they're really, really closed on them. But I remember once going to a sound check up in yeah. New Jersey. Of course, there's only maybe 10 people that are who, who aren't on the stage who maybe get to go into a sound check. Right. And they're all sat over to the side. Well, I said, that's not good enough. So I went and I sat 
maybe 30, 35 rows back. Mm-hmm. Just enough. He wasn't going to make out my face anyway. Yeah. I didn't want to be too close. But I sat right in front of the stage, dead center. Yes. In front of the stage. And, of course, they're doing the sound check, and they're making a mistake, and they do a sound check, and Bruce doesn't quite like that. And finally, he stops and says, looks right at me, because there's nobody else in the place. Yeah. Who the F are you? And I said, I said, I said, you know, I didn't know. I'm looking left. I'm looking right. He's like, yeah, you. Who the F are you? I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just got up and I ran over to the side, just kind of slinked down until you know, I didn't think anybody else could see me. But so does he recognize me all the time? Absolutely not. OK. Um, yeah, I imagine you're at dinner. You're going, OK, be cool. Be cool, Mike. Just yeah, you got to harness that. You have to harness <laughs> yeah. that because if I don't harness that at some point, I will no longer be family and just a fan. Yes, exactly. And I think that is uh, absolutely wonderful. So talk to me a little bit. Gary's got a solo uh, release coming. Talk to me what you know about it. Wait, before you do that, and I'm not asking you specific, I'm in general. Do you know before other people that a tour might happen? Or do you find uh, out? Sometimes, out? yeah. Okay, okay. That's, that's all I'm going to ask because, you know, the rumors are hot and heavy, right? I know what the rumors are. Yeah. Are you... Do you get to go to see him in Saturday Night Live? Are you going to go? Do, can you get tickets to see him play at Saturday Night Live? I don't think I'm going to get get to see that show. Okay. But I haven't finished talking to Gary about that. So okay. I'm going to try my best. And if I can get up there, I'll fly up there. I'll go to the show. I'll fly back. I've yeah. done that before. I would have loved to have been at the Daily Show one. You know, and because, you and me both. I mean, because it was just so much joy and everything. And you can tell what a geek I am. It's into the show, and John Stewart's thanking all of them. And you know, Max hands him his drumsticks, and I'm like, "How cool! John Stewart got drumsticks." I'm like, "Okay, you know, John Stewart's had some other fun things, so that would not be quite the thrill of him." But I'm just well, you know what? I'll bet you John Stewart was saying, "How cool is this that I just got Max's drumsticks?" <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Okay, so talk to me about the solo album. Um, he's never done anything. Like, what did he do during the break? I'm going to show my ignorance. What did he do during that? <laughs> now, that's the ultimate lead-in, Jesse. Okay. I, I can't believe you said that. All right. What, it, what did he do during the break? This is kind of a response from Gary to fans who want to know what Gary does during the break. Yeah. During the breaks of the E Street Band. The name of the album is Break Time. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Okay, listeners, we did not set this up. All we he, really didn't. Yeah, he said, um, <laughs> I've talked to, you know, you did you did name drop saying, I talked to Gary that I'm going to be on a podcast. And I checked, is it okay if I talk about this? And he said, yes. And I I resisted begging, please tell Gary to be on the podcast. Please tell Gary on the podcast. So I'm going to pull it back in. So anyway, <laughs> um, so he's, uh, give me the name again. It's called Break Time. Oh, how funny. Uh, it's not released yet. I mean, obviously, I've, I've listened to the tracks. In fact, Gary was encouraging me to, this morning to make sure that I had listened to the tracks. We've yeah. compared notes. Gary has always been a busy person. He's not one to just, uh, you know, sit around and not do a whole lot during breaks. He's yeah. an established producer. He's got a studio in Nashville. Um, so he's busy either producing or playing gigs, rehearsing. He has a band called the long players that when he is available, he will, he will uh, play bass for them. 
Long players is a, a standing tradition, I guess, in the uh, in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. They will just cover an entire album, a classic album, whether it's Pink Floyd or the band, the band's Brown album. Yeah, I was there when they did that, and Gary was able to play on those songs, and they just have a great time, and they sound awesome. So Gary loves playing with them. So that's a, a plug for the Long Players. This time on this break, he. Uh, decided he got together and went into the studio and recorded a new album, 12 tracks. It's old school, but it sounds, it really sounds great. Kind of rockabilly, a lot of twanging guitar, some accordion. It's old school in, you know, the style of the music. A lot of it is kind of very uh, like Buddy Holly-esque. Okay. A lot of, uh, you, you can hear the stray cats there with a lot of the guitar. Uh, it's just fun music. Gary, had, you could tell Gary had a fun time recording it. Uh, Twelve songs, all under four minutes. I'd have to say over half of them are under three minutes. Wow! So it's a quick listen, but I mean, it's it's a rich sounding record. Yeah. Uh, it's it sounds great. Uh, release date Gary gave me was January the twenty first. Okay. So um, I guess you'll be able to download it, and of course it'll be in your your yeah. uh should be in the record store too absolutely did uh now h- how much is he involved with this is were they songs he wrote is yeah gary the- wrote the songs okay he has uh, i asked him a little bit about uh you know um he does the lead vocals but there are some harmony vocals there are some backing vocals so he had some guest players come in he's got i mean he's got a lot of contacts that are more than willing to come in there and yeah. help him lay down some tracks. And they all sound great. Um, but Gary, uh, Gary wrote the songs and, you know, mm-hmm. his roots are, you know, Decca records. Yeah. Uh, Sun records, Johnny cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, you know, Elvis, obviously, Buddy Holly, Carl Perkins, uh, yeah. that's, you know, huge influences for Gary. And that bleeds out in, in these songs there. And I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard Gary sing back up Spirits in the Night and sing right. back up on, on a lot of the, you know, the first two albums. And mm-hmm. uh, this is Gary like you've never heard him. So really sound. He has a smooth voice. Um I was really, really impressed. And I think a lot of people will be. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Boy, the band... The the E Street Band has been so busy, you know. You're getting all kinds of you know news and everything about it. So that is amazing. Um, I we will look forward to it. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have you come back on after it's released, and we'll kind of talk about it after we've heard it, because that would be fun. Yeah, I mean, and Gary has set up a uh, he set up a mini tour. Okay. Uh, he's going to go out and tour behind this record. Um. And all I can say is he was he had I think scheduled some January dates and maybe some bleeding into February. Yeah. That will have to be pushed back into maybe March or April. <laughs> don't do and that's this. all I can say. Don't do this to us, Mike. Don't do okay. <laughs> You're feeding the thing. Um so you've heard Bruce and the band so many times. Is there do you have a wish list of a few songs that you know, you as if you put on your fan hat that you mm. haven't heard him sing. Great question. You and I, you know what? Yeah, I have one. I think, uh, you know, and I could be getting to, into a gray area here, but yeah. I'm going to anyway. Um, 
my favorite Bruce song will probably never be officially released or never heard by 99% of Bruce fans. Okay. Um, he has a boot out there called The Lost Masters, and it's just a bunch of recordings. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they got released. Yeah. Evidently, some I don't know if they were leaked by an engineer. I, I don't know how. I don't know. Yeah. But I was able to download them from, you know, this didn't come through Gary. Certainly yeah. wouldn't be if you know, come through. And that's the fan in me coming out. Right. Um, and there is, in these uh, Lost Masters, there's maybe five or six different renditions of a song. Maybe he'll eliminate a verse. Maybe he'll change the name. Maybe he'll change the uh, a name of a character in the song. But there's about five or six different renditions of a song called Slow Fade. All right. Now, later on, from what I've heard, Slow Fade became Fade Away. But they're two entirely different songs. Fade Away and this Slow Fade. I, I don't see how they have any they're totally different melody totally different music. Bruce played this slow fade and he had a couple different, uh, you know, incarnations of the song and Danny had to get a cute little keyboard intro at the beginning of it. It was my ringtone for the longest time. I, I absolutely love it, but it's a very, very cool tune. Sometime I'm going to have to send it to you and you can listen yeah, to it. I'd love to hear it. But Bruce's mic was turned down because I guess he wasn't sure about the lyrics. So from what I can gather, the first verse is basically the lyrics for the first verse of the song Point Blank that was released on the river. Okay. The second verse, I don't know, I can't hear it. And the third verse basically is the third verse of Point Point Blank. Okay. So uh, obviously Bruce scrapped this effort and went ahead and found new music for Point Blank, which, you know what, is a great tune anyway. I love Point right. Blank. And those lyrics showed up in Point Blank. And he never moved anywhere on this slow fade. So when the river box set was you know, queued up to come out. I said, well, maybe Bruce will include something like that on the, and maybe he'll finish it. Right. Maybe he'll turn up his mic and actually get some different lyrics, but I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. I don't have it. So it's not out yet. So I don't mm-hmm. know, but I'm probably not going to, but that's my favorite, you know, and Bruce will never play that. It's an unfinished yeah. song. Is there other Bruce songs that mean a lot to you? Yeah. I mean, Adam raised a cane is always going to mean a lot to me because, uh, you know, not only was, uh, did I feel that I was maybe misunderstood by my mom and that's all about Bruce being misunderstood by his dad and how he has to carry the burdens of what his dad had done. And, uh, of course that was the song that introduced me to Bruce. So that's whenever he breaks that out, it's fantastic. A couple of songs off of, well, Valentine's day off of tunnel of love. I love that song, even though Gary didn't play on it. Happy is another one off tracks. Yes. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, most people like his earlier albums, which of course I do, but I thought Magic was one of his best albums ever. Yes. Great. I mean, it was, the anger was back there. His rock and roll voice emerged again. I thought it was great, but I've heard pretty much everything. I think the one song I'd like to hear that he did on the Darkness Tour that I don't think I got a chance to hear on the River Tour was his cover of It's My Life by The Animals. I love his version of that, uh, right down to the, the the weird guitar, and he's just so bitter, and it's a bitter song anyway. I love that. I, if I'd love to hear him try to do that again, it'd be great. Well, Mike, hopefully we can meet up at a show, and we can share a beverage and talk more in person um, after Gary's um, album comes out. I think I'd love to have you on, and we could talk about it again. 
this has been a blast. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, uh, I really me. appreciate it. If someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they? They can go on the BTX website. My name is rocking out. They can send me a PM there or just post okay. something and I'll, I'll usually see it. Okay. Very good. Twitter or anything? Don't do Twitter. Okay. Um, you know, they could probably look me up on Facebook. I'll be honest. Uh, Facebook for me is just a portal to keep in touch with distant family. I understand totally. That's I pretty do. much all I do on okay. the Facebook. So check you up on the BTX boards. Very nice. So hang there while I do some housekeeping. If you want to be on the podcast and talk about Bruce and all that implies, please send an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page, and we are on Twitter at setlustingbruce. We'd appreciate you going to iTunes to rate and review us. It helps people find us. I got to tell you, um, Mike's kind of set a high bar. So I, I say, come on, guys, set up the challenge. Come up here and visit with us. Um, thank you, Mike. This is a blast. And, um, you're just, you're just saying you're not, you're, you're not saying you're just saying that Gary may have had to delay his solo gigs, but that doesn't mean anything. There could be a lot of reasons for that. It doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> In fact, you didn't even hear it. That's right. I'm not saying anything. I wasn't saying anything now. I'm not saying anything then. It's just right. it. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to close with in the Bible, Cain slew Abel. And go. east of Eden, he was cast. You're born into this life paying for the sins of some of somebody else's past. Daddy worked his whole life for nothing but the pain. Now he walks these empty rooms looking for something to blame. You inherit the sins. You inherit the flames. Adam raised the king. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.